Amen. You may be seated. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. We've been teaching a series on the Holy Spirit the last uh, few weeks, and we want to continue along those lines. I'm not sure what we titled this, uh, uh, this series, but we're really trying to focus on the Holy Spirit in the believer. John chapter 14, the, li- the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, the night that he was betrayed, said in verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you for a few weeks. I will pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter that he'll last for the end of your life, but after that the church is out of luck. That he may abide with you forever. Folks, how long is forever? How is it possible then that the Holy Spirit or any aspect or any facet of the Holy Spirit's work that took place and started in the church could possibly be done away with? That'd make Jesus a liar, wouldn't it? Maybe Jesus just messed up. Maybe John didn't remember it right. No, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would abide with you forever. Now, this word comforter in the, in the um, Greek is the word paraclete. Uh, the Amplified brings out that there are seven different meanings for this word comforter, this word paraclete. One is comforter, another is advocate, another is strengthener, another is standby, another is uh, helper. And there are some others in there as well. There's seven different names, seven different titles that are given to the Holy Spirit. Advocate, strengthener, standby, comforter, helper intercessor seems like i'm missing one or two nevertheless you get the point the holy spirit is supposed to be your all in all in other words there's no area of your life there's no circumstance there's no situation that you and i will face that any person no matter what the circumstance is nothing that someone will face under the new covenant from now to the end of the age that the holy spirit will not be sufficient to cover Notice what he said, verse 17, even the spirit of truth. I'm glad that he called him the spirit of truth. Uh, Another translation says it's the spirit of reality, and that word truth literally means reality. Even the spirit of reality. A lot of times people attribute things to the Holy Spirit that don't wind up being real. Well, that couldn't have been the Holy Spirit then. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of reality. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Notice it's not for the unbeliever. He's for the believer. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but you know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now folks please notice he's not talking about salvation. When he's talking about the comforter when he's talking about the strengthener and the standby and the intercessor and the advocate the helper (coughs) excuse me he's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about there's coming a Holy Spirit and you'll get saved. That's not what he means because he said the world can't receive him. Well can't the world receive salvation? Can't the world receive the, the, uh, uh, the new birth, the change that occurs by the Holy Ghost by making Jesus the Lord of their lives? Can't they get that? Isn't that for everybody? Doesn't the Bible say Jesus died for the sins of the world? Not just the sins of the Christian, but the sins of the world? Well, then what Jesus is talking about, the help of the Holy Ghost he's talking about is not just salvation. He's talking about a work of the Holy Ghost to help them do the works that he did here on the earth. He's talking about the work of the church. He said the world can't receive this. So he's got to be talking about something other than salvation. Now, if he meant both, then he could have said, now, uh, the world will receive part of it, but there's another part that's just for the believer. 
But that's not what he said. He said, even the, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither know him. So he's talking about a work of the Holy Spirit in those that know God. How can you know God except through Jesus? Are you out there? He's not talking about salvation. Now, he does refer to salvation, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. In the last part of the verse, he said, but you know him for, here's how you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Two ways that you're supposed to know the Holy Ghost. By his presence in you and his presence with you, or as the scripture says in other places, upon you. Now, we know that Jesus is talking about these two dual works of the Holy Spirit. The work of the church the condition of the church is supposed to be, as far as Jesus was concerned, if this is any indication of Jesus and the, and the will of God, Jesus expressing the will of God to the church, we see that God's intent then is for the church to have the Spirit of God not just in them, but on them. Now, again, remember the context that he said that he'll abide with you forever. How long is the Holy Spirit supposed to be on the church? Forever. Now, what do we know this, that this means? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 4, talking to the woman at the well of Samaria, he said that the, the, the Spirit of God, the well of uh, the water that I give you, shall be in you a well of water springing up to everlasting life. Well, we know that's the work of the Holy Spirit, don't we? So there is a work of the Holy Spirit that makes a person born again or makes them a new spirit, a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's the, the well of water in you. That's where you begin to know God through Jesus. But then he's talked about in John chapter 7, a different work of the Holy Spirit. He stood up in the last day of the feast week and cried and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, he used water as a type of both salvation and the Holy Ghost coming upon or the infilling or the baptism. Those are interchangeable terms of the Holy Ghost. It goes on to say in verse 38, John chapter 7, verse 38, But this spake he of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given. Upon them who should believe. In other words, not upon the world, but upon the, the church, the believers. So obviously there is a work of the Holy Ghost that comes upon the believer after he's made Jesus the Lord of his life. That's the only way you can be a believer. Is making Jesus the Lord of your life, being born again, receiving the new birth. We see this happen first in Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We see in Acts chapter 8 a similar experience where Peter, uh, Philip goes down to Samaria and preaches Christ unto him. The people receive the things, gave heed to the things that Philip spake, saw the miracles that he did, made Jesus the Lord of their lives, and there was great joy in the city. Then the apostles sent Peter and John down to them that they might receive the Holy Ghost because as yet he was fallen upon none of them. What does that mean? That means they were born again. They had the Spirit of God within in the new birth. But they didn't have the Spirit of God with or upon them. He talks about falling upon them. Well, they get filled and they, get, they begin to speak with other tongues. Just like everybody else. There are five different things. We've talked about this a little bit last week, I believe. Five different times in the New Testament where somebody or a group of people were filled with the Holy Ghost. And every time the Bible either speaks specifically or refers to the fact that they spoke with other tongues. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Well, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, talking to the disciples after they were saved, after he had been raised from the dead, after they had seen him, after they had confessed him as Lord, they believed in his heart, their hearts that God had raised him from the dead. 
They confessed him as Lord. The Bible says that's the prerequisite to salvation, the, the criteria for salvation. So they had to be saved. We see a change in their lives occur. They're not any longer behind closed doors and, uh, for fear of the Jews. They're out openly in the temple worshiping and praising God. Something changed in them when they met Jesus. They were made new creatures. They were born again. Then Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to these very same people that had been born again. He said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Is come upon you. We know in Acts chapter 2 that coming upon the Holy Spirit coming upon the believer is the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. So Jesus is telling those that are born again, you need something more. If you're going to go do the work of preaching the gospel, going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature, if you're going to do that work, you need something more of the Holy Ghost to do it. Well, what do you need? Power. Well, who doesn't need power today? I think we need more power today than they needed in their day. Because there are more people to reach and people are worse and worse than, than they ever were back then. At least in some respects. Well, what part of the church would ever step up and say, well, we don't need that power anymore? Seriously? I would submit to you folks that the only ones that would say we don't need power are people that never, have never experienced power. Jesus is saying you don't need something when you don't know what it is. So what was that power that came upon them? Well, it was the Holy Ghost. And that power was evidenced by the fact that they spoke with other tongues. Now, I, um, I have to be careful and keep my attitude right about these things because I realize that most people are sincere about the things of God. Most people want what God wants. There are a few that, that, uh, that just fight. You know, uh, it's interesting. Paul, before his name was changed to Paul, when he was Saul, he was persecuting the church. When Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he said something very interesting to him. The light shined round about from heaven, shined on him from heaven brighter than the noonday sun, blinded him. He said, for him. he said himself that he was blind for three days because of the glory of that light, not because of sickness or disease, but because that light was so bright. So he's on the ground, he's blinded, and he hears a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he, Saul answers and says, he, it, it, Paul realizes, I mean, the, you can imagine, put yourself in that position, not knowing the end of the story like we do, Paul just riding on, his, uh, on the, the, the animal that he's on, minding his own business, on the way to persecute or kill Christians, you know, just a normal day for him. And this light knocks him off of his animal. He's on the ground. He knows he can't see. Instantly, things change. He hears a voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, if you're Saul, you know that the only people you're persecuting are those that are claiming Jesus to be Lord of their lives. Those that are claiming that the law has been done away with and now it's through faith in the blood and sacrifice of Jesus and not in the keeping of the, the animal sacrifices. So Paul answers. He speaks up and he says, who art thou, Lord? I don't know you, but clearly you've got the upper hand. And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And then he made an interesting comment. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Now, that's a that's a word picture for driving a, a team of oxen. In those days, the way that, the, that it worked is 
You had a team of oxen, and the way you got the oxen to go, they're stronger than you are. You can't just pull a string and make them go where you want. The way that you got them to go where you wanted them to go is you had a long, sharp stick, and you stuck them in the rear end. If you wanted them to go to the right, you stuck them on the left side. They turned away from it. And that was what would happen is the oxen would kick against that because they didn't want to get stuck. And Jesus says to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. In other words, why do you keep fighting the truth? Some people are that way. Some people just want to fight the truth. Now, I realize that's not the majority of people. But some people, bless their hearts, they do this with the things of God. They do this in their own lives where the will of God is concerned. They refuse to accept the truth that God's got a plan for their life because they've got their own plan. And they fight and they fight and they fight and they fight and they fight. Most of the people you know, loved ones, whoever it might be, that are struggling in their lives are fighting, kicking against the pricks. And all it would take was just surrendering to the things of God and things would work out. Well, I don't know about you, but my loved ones that are doing that, I'd like them to have a Damascus Road experience. <laughs> Where's that light from heaven, Lord? But that's the way some people are doing some ministers do this. Some ministers just kick. They fight against the truth. They make a, a major part of their ministry to fight against the Holy Ghost and the work of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost. And what they don't know is that they're fighting against the truth, doing the devil's work, trying to make it difficult for other people. And unfortunately, that has gained a lot of inroads into the modern-day church, at least in America. And as a result, there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of wrong ideas and wrong doctrine about the Holy Ghost. Some people think that the Holy Ghost was for the church, but he's not anymore. Some people think that it never was God's intent for the modern-day church to have the Holy Ghost. It was just for the apostles. Some people will say that speaking in tongues is of the devil. Some others will say that speaking in tongues is, is okay, but it's not for everybody. Well, what's right? See, believing wrong through wrong teaching will keep you out of the things that God has for you. I believe, personal opinion, I believe that anybody that's sincere about the things of God that knows the truth about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues would run to it. So I have to assume if somebody doesn't have this experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit with the speaking in other tongues is either because they don't know or they don't, they've not been taught properly about it or they're fighting against it. I don't know what other, other, what other options there would be besides those three. Well, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's talk about some reasons for speaking with other tongues. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Mike, why are you doing this in church? Your church speaks with tongues. Yes, we do. But there's a lot of people that are filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues that don't use it like they should. I think the reason for that is because people don't understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul, speaking of this experience. Now, maybe we ought to start over in verse 18, where Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. The condition of the Corinthian church was they had so much speaking in tongues during their services that people that came in from the outside that were either unsaved or they were saved but didn't know about the Holy Ghost... There was no teaching. There was no instruction about what was going on. So they were confused about the whole thing. The whole city was saying that this church at Corinth was crazy. 
Now, that's similar to what a lot of the charismatic churches are thought of today. A lot of people think charismatic churches are crazy. And I've got to tell you something, folks. The way that I see some operate, I think they are too. Not because what they're doing is wrong, but because the way that they're doing it is such that brings reproach rather than understanding. That's what Paul's trying to fix in this church at Corinth. It was a great blessing to me to find out that God didn't want spirit-filled people to be thought of as crazy. Because that was one of the things that scared me when I was young. I saw speaking people that spoke in tongues and they seemed crazy to me. But when I saw that God didn't want tongue, uh, tongue-talking, spirit-filled people to be thought of or seen as crazy, I thought, man, this is great news. Now I can go in with confidence. So Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all. He must know what he's talking about because he speaks with tongues more than this group who, who, who seems to be, it seems from the record that we have in the scripture, that that's the only thing they ever do. Well, what does he say about this speaking in tongues? Notice in chapter 14, verse 2. He said, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. The first thing you need to know about speaking in other tongues is that you're talking in a divine, supernatural God-given manner to communicate with God. Now, I've got a question for you. Just having made that comment, if we go no further, let me ask you a question. Why would God ever want that divine communication to end? For those that say that speaking in tongues is not for everybody, for those that say that speaking in tongues has been done away with, let me ask you this. Why would God ever want it to be done away with, or why would God not want everybody to have it? Is there any reason that you can think logically, spiritually, or otherwise? Is there any reason you can think of why God would not want a supernatural and divine manner of communication to continue? Why would he want it to stop? Now, some people say, well, tongues have ceased. No, the Bible says tongues will cease. It says they will cease, and it says at the same time they cease will be the time when prophecy ceases, which most people that don't believe in speaking in tongues claim that prophecy is preaching. So if we accept their definition, tongues will cease at the same time prophecy ceases, and tongues will cease at the same time that knowledge ceases. Now, I sometimes joke that it seems very obvious to me that with some Christians, knowledge has long since ceased. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about knowledge where this world is concerned. When is knowledge going to cease? When it was superseded by truth. When you see the Lord face to face. When will preaching cease? When will prophesying cease? When you see the Lord face to face. So when will tongues cease? When you see the Lord face to face. We call that the rapture when Jesus comes back for the church. There's no question about it, folks. Tongues are distinctive for this age here on the earth, the church age. There's no need for us to speak in tongues in heaven. Now, the Holy Spirit won't depart from us. We'll still have the Holy Spirit in its full measure. But there won't be no reason for you to speak in tongues in heaven because you'll see the Lord face to face. You'll be able to, to see and know as you are seen and known. But again, back to my original question, why would God ever want this divine communication, manner of communication to cease? If speaking in tongues is speaking directly to God, if it's a supernatural and a God-given manner to communicate with him, why would he not want that to continue? He does. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Two things about that last phrase, speaking in tongues is speaking in the Spirit. And that is the rub, folks. That's why the devil fights it. That's why the devil fights it. 
Because speaking with your understanding is not speaking in the Spirit. I'm speaking as much as I'm able by the direction of the Holy Ghost, what I believe the Holy Ghost wants me to say. But it's not my Spirit speaking. These words are coming through my mind to you. But when I speak in an unknown tongue, it bypasses my mind. And it's my spirit directly in communication and contact with God. Romans chapter 8 says the Holy Ghost is the one that gives me utterance. He prays or he speaks the perfect will of God since it's bypassing my mind. This supernatural and divine means of God-given means of communicating with him bypasses any and every opportunity that I might have to make it selfish. To turn it toward me and what I want. Instead, it's directly between God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit giving me utterance through my own spirit. And that's what the devil doesn't want. Furthermore, it says, he that speaketh in the spirit speaketh secrets, divine secrets, mysteries, King James translation, Weymouth's translation is he speaketh divine secrets. Now, here's another reason why the devil fights it against, fights against it so much. He's not in on the secret. He doesn't want you speaking secrets. He doesn't want your spirit, which is the real powerhouse. That's where the spirit of God lives. It's where the presence of God is, not in your body and not in your mind. He didn't want the powerhouse part of you communicating directly with God by the inspiration or the utterance of the Holy Ghost. Because he knows when that takes place, spiritual things happen. Spiritual plans are made. Spiritual forces are unleashed. His goose is cooked. Verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. The word edifies means to build up. It literally means to put the roof on the house, to finish a building. But if you look that word up in the Greek, you'll find that there's a better translation now than even what they had in their days, and it's to recharge like a battery. That's what edify or to build up means. It means to build up in spiritual strength like you'd recharge a battery. Now, folks, our world lives on iPhones, smartphones, tablets, laptops and so forth you know as well as i do that a part of your daily routine is to plug your stuff back in and recharge it for the next day right how often do you do that with your spirit i'd hate to think that i'm using my iphone more often than i'm using my spirit i'd hate to think that my ipad keeps a better charge than my spirit does yet unfortunately for too much of the church that must be the case It means to charge yourself up like a battery. It means to recharge yourself spiritually. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That means to recharge yourself spiritually. That's why speaking in tongues is such an important issue. It recharges your spiritual batteries. It replenishes spiritual power and energy. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. How often do you do that? Smith Wilkersworth said this. Somebody asked him. He was a, um, well, his wife was really the preacher. They were part of the Salvation Army movement in, uh, in England many years ago. And, uh, and his wife was really the preacher. He was, just, he was a plumber by trade. And he just kind of went along to help. And he'd set things up and, you know, set up chairs and stuff like that. And, uh, and he got filled with the Holy Ghost. And as a result, his ministry just became a worldwide phenomenon he had revival on every inhabited continent of the earth on during his day during his lifetime and people would ask him they said well what is the what is the secret to your success 
And he said, well, I can't say that it's education because I don't have any. He had no more than a third grade education, if I remember correctly. He said, it can't be pulpit etiquette because I don't know what that is. And he was. He was just as rough as a cob. You know, he, was, uh, he used common language, and, and sometimes he'd mess up his words and, and stuff like that. It didn't matter to God. God used him in a great way. There was an um, English minister that came by when Brother Hagin was still alive, came by the campus there in, uh, in Tulsa and uh, sat down and talked with Brother Hagin one afternoon. And Brother Hagin told us that this man said that he personally knew of 21 people that had been raised from the dead in, John, in uh, Smith Wigglesworth's ministry. Well, he's got me beat by 21. How about you? I mean, obviously somebody knows something about power. Wouldn't you think? I mean, we could at least assume that. Well, people asked him, what was the secret to your success? And he said, well, he said, you know my story. He said, I was a plumber, just a common laborer. And he said, I heard about a a meeting over in a certain place called the name of the town where people were being filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, I didn't know what that was, so I went to check it out. Now, actually, if you read his story, the details of his story, he was fighting against it. He went over there to prove to them that he had all of God there was to get. And he got filled with the Holy Ghost. He found out he was wrong. He began speaking with other tongues. So he said, so what I do is every afternoon I spend two hours edifying myself, speaking in other tongues. And then I go out at night and edify the people. Now what he claimed to be the secret of his success was not just being baptized in the Holy Ghost, but the fact that he used speaking in tongues two hours every afternoon to charge himself up spiritually, to charge himself with spiritual power, and then he ministered out of that power when he was in his services. Well, it's hard to argue with his success. I'm sure all 21 of those people that had been raised from the dead were glad that he did that, as well as the countless numbers of people that were healed and raised from uh, wheelchairs and crippled conditions and and healed from sicknesses and and so forth. Wigglesworth was an amazing guy. He'd be in a, ser- a service, and, and uh, I remember one story that he told about. He said that there was a, and, and these things were not instant results. There were a lot of challenges and fights that he had during his services. And let me explain to what I mean by that. He said one service he was at in a certain place, there was an auditorium of some type, and they had a great big old high platform that they'd built or put up or whatever, erected in some way or another. And so he's looking out over the crowd, a couple of thousand people, and there's somebody who comes in a wheelchair. And everybody in town knew who this person was. It was a dire situation. It was a terrible condition, whatever it was. And they wheeled this guy up late after everybody was seated, after Wigglesworth had already started preaching. They comes in the side door and brings him up to the front. And every eye, every head turned to watch this thing. Well, he saw he lost the people. So he just quit talking. So he watched him bring him down. Watched everybody, and he said as soon as he brought him in and got him situated up toward the front, he said he could just tell there was just like a, a, a cloud had come over the whole service. They weren't listening to me. Everybody's looking, wondering what's going to happen. They're thinking immediately, well, if God can't do anything for this fellow, how can he do anything for me? So Wigglesworth just stops. He continues to preach for a few minutes, realizes he's lost the people. There's a spirit of doubt and unbelief in the whole place. So he just stopped, and he said, look, should I heal this guy now? So that you'll listen to the rest of the service or should I give him a chance to hear the word first and then heal him at the end? Well, the crowd kind of sits there and has the same reaction as you. Like, is he talking to us? 
So finally somebody speaks up and says, heal him now. So he just walks over to it, lays hands on him, says, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Walks away, the guy doesn't move. That'll mess up a service. (laughs) So he turns away, says to the people, the word of faith is spoken. Do you think there's any chance that God won't hear our prayer? Do you think there's any chance that God didn't hear what we said and commanded that man when we told him to be healed, to rise and walk? And everybody's thinking, well, the Bible says, yeah, God will hear when you, when you speak. So Wigglesworth just goes on praying, I mean, goes on uh, preaching, ministering the word. He can see people are still looking over there to the other side. But he's getting them a little bit by a little bit. He's getting them about 30 minutes into this thing. Wigglesworth turns around and says, all right, that's long enough. Rise and walk. The guy gets up and walks around. Now, he said, Wigglesworth said it was a combination of two things. He said, number one, he said, I realized when I laid hands on the individual, he had no faith exercise in what God could do. So I had to get some word into him. He said, but secondly, he said, all during the time that I'm speaking and preaching the word, I'm having a fight with the devil because the devil's speaking in my mind saying, you know, it's not going to work this time. It's, you're going to be shown and seen as a fraud. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And all the time while he's preaching, he's speaking back to the devil. He says, the word of faith is spoken. It has to be in Jesus' name. Where do you get that kind of faith? Turn with me over to Jude chapter. Well, there's only one chapter in Jude. It's a little postcard. Not really a letter, just kind of a postcard. It's right before Revelation. I know you spend a lot of time there, so I'll help you out. Notice the book of Jude, the 20th verse. Here's one reason, one great reason for speaking in other tongues. Now, I'm not talking about a great reason to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about those that are filled. Here's a reason why you should use what you have. Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, so he's talking to Christians. But you, beloved, building up yourselves, spiritual power, spiritual recharging, same thing that he was talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Now, how do you do that? By praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, notice he does not say that speaking in tongues or praying in the Holy Ghost, those are interchangeable terms. Notice he does not say that that gives you faith. We know that's not the case. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So faith comes by hearing of the word. That's why Wigglesworth continued to preach so he could get some of the word into this guy that he's already prayed for. He's already commanded to be healed. So faith comes by hearing the word. But once you've heard the word, your faith can be stimulated by speaking in other tongues. It's not an uncommon thing at all for people to get healed in the prayer room when they get filled with the Holy Ghost. We've had people that we've prayed for over and over and over again. When they get filled with the Holy Ghost, they receive their healing. Now, why? Is that because God only heals people that are filled with the Holy Ghost? Not at all. Sometimes they're the hardest people to get, say, or to get healed. Sometimes it's easier to get unbelievers healed than it is Christians. Because God will do some things just as a sign. That works very often with unbelievers. But why do people that didn't get healed, that didn't receive their healing, receive once they were filled with the Holy Ghost? Because it takes faith to speak out the utterance that the Holy Ghost gives you when you speak in other tongues. And when you exercise faith in one area, it enables you to, to, to become accustomed with or familiarize yourself to exercise faith in other areas. Brother Hagin talked about the lady that uh, when he was still a Baptist 
uh, boy preacher, before he was ever filled with the Holy Ghost, there was a, a family that he would stay with in town sometimes, traveling back and forth to, to pastor the country church that he was pastoring. And he said that, uh, that she had stomach conditions. She had ulcers of the stomach, and it had developed into stomach cancer. Now, this was back in 1935, maybe something like that. And he said that the, that the husband of this wife, this woman, said that in 1935, that's pretty close to Depression days, if you don't remember history. He said that in those days, he spent $10,000 for her medical bills. Now, $10,000 would be about the equivalent of, of maybe three quarters to, of a million to maybe a million dollars today. And she was no better. There's nothing the doctors could do for her. And as a result, she could only eat little crushed up baby food type stuff. You know, she'd have to make her own mush food. And that was, she'd eat very little of that. Brother Hagin said one day he went having breakfast with him. And she was eating a big breakfast. Fried eggs, bacon, biscuits, whatever else was there on the table. And he looked, and he was used to the food on the table, and he and the, the husband would eat together. But then she sat down, and she ate. And Brother Hagin said, I guess my eyes got as big as saucers. Because she looked up, and she said, yes, it's me. I'm eating everything as want. As a matter of fact, last night I had a big bowl of chili. Really enjoyed it. Well, he knew that was news. He knew that was a new experience. She hadn't had anything greasy or spicy in, uh, in years. So he said, well, what happened? Now, he had prayed for her healing. Brother Hagin had already been healed. He had prayed for her healing, and he knows that other people had prayed for her healing too. So he just assumed somebody prayed for her healing, and she received. So he said, what happened? And she said, well, she said, you know, there's a full gospel tent that was set up down the road, and I heard that people were receiving the Holy Ghost, and I went down there and listened to him preach, went to the altar, and got filled with the Holy Spirit. She said, now, they had everybody come around the altar at the end of the service, and so I did. Had a little altar rail set up there. It was open-air meeting. So she said, I got tired of uh, kneeling down on my knees. She said, so I just wound up just laying. They had a little carpet, or uh, actually it wasn't carpet. They had hay scattered out toward the, the front of things. So she said, I just laid down on that, uh, the hay that they had scattered out. Wasn't a whole lot of people down there, so I had plenty of room. She said, I just laid down. And I'm seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm doing what they're telling me to do. They didn't know as much as we know now. But I'm seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She said, all of a sudden, with my eyes closed, she said, it was like I saw a light, a beam of light come down from heaven and strike me in the top of the head, right here in my forehead. She said, next thing I knew, I was speaking with other tongues and I was instantly healed. Now, folks, why is healing associated many times with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Because when you exercise faith to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's the same faith that you exercise to receive healing. That's why when you speak in other tongues to recharge your spiritual batteries, as it were, that stimulates your faith. Because faith is the same in every area. Faith for finance is the same as faith for healing. Faith for healing is the same as faith for salvation. Faith for salvation is the same as faith for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Faith is faith. It's just based on different scriptures or different promises of God's word. There's no difference. Some people think it's harder to get healed than it is to receive money by faith. Other people think it's harder to receive money than it is to receive healing. It's all the same. It's a matter of what you build into your own heart, the faith that you build into your own heart as a result of the word that you hear. The word's the same. Healing scriptures are the same as prosperity scriptures. They all come from God. There's no difference on his end. If there's any kind of difference, it's because we give more credibility or more attention to one than we do the other. But faith is the same in every area, every realm.
But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. How do you build yourself up on your faith? How do you stimulate your faith? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in other tongues, in other words. Speaking with other tongues. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians 14. Notice he said in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, he said, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. Well, that's exactly the same thing we read in verse 4, or verse 3, or verse 2, I guess it was, of the chapter. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So it says here, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. Folks, one of the most important things in your Christian life is to exercise spiritually. And one of the greatest ways you can exercise your spirit, and it should be a daily operation, it should be many times every day, is to pray in other tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking with other tongues is not just the initial evidence of baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's supposed to be a continuous fountain. Jesus said that that was the, the, the experience that he was referring to when in John chapter 7 he said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Not just a river, not a one-time river, rivers, period. Plural, rivers, continuous, rivers of living water. Rivers. What rivers are flowing out of you? Well, I don't know, Pastor Mike. Must be some beavers in there to damn things up. (laughs) Well, there's no question about it. The devil wants to damn it up. But it's up to you. Notice Paul goes on to say, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Folks, The devil wants your head in charge. You're accustomed to your head being in charge. And there is, no question about it, we might as well just fess up here. There is an element of losing some measure or manner of control when you first start speaking in other tongues. Because your head has no idea what's going on. And your head has always been in charge from that point, from your birth to that point in your life. And your head does not want to give up the steering wheel. It does not want to give up. It's position and place of knowing what's going on, directing what's going on, and deciding what will go on. And you lose some of that when you begin speaking in other tongues. But now think of what you're losing it to. You're losing it to speaking God's perfect will. Is that really a bad thing? For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Listen, let's just be honest here. We're not that smart. We need our understanding to be unfruitful in a lot of cases. We need to get out of our heads in many, many cases. You get to a situation in life where you don't know what to do. Well, you've already admitted you don't know what to do. So why not give in to the things that will work, give in to a greater wisdom than we have in our mental capacity and let the Holy Ghost lead us? For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? In other words, Paul says, so what am I going to do about it? What is it then? Here's what I'm going to do. I will pray. Everybody say, I will. I will pray with the Spirit. That means with other tongues. And I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. The modern day church has gotten so stupid about this verse of Scripture. I went to a church one time. They said, okay, let's sing. They were singing out of a hymn book denominational church who's singing out of a hymn book and so they said let's sing verses one four or one two and four you never sing verse three in a denominational church i don't know why but verse three must always be from the devil 
Because in a denominational church, you always sing verses 1, 2, and 4, never verse 3. Don't know. Never have figured that out. So they said, let's sing verses 1, 2, and 4. We'll sing verse 1 just in our normal way, and then we'll sing verses 2 and 4 with the Spirit and with our understanding. I thought, man, this is going to be interesting. You know what the difference in verse 1 and verses 2 and 4 were? None. But they thought they were saying something scriptural, and they had no idea what they were talking about. Here's what Paul is saying. Now, we know from Paul's experience, from Paul's uh, uh, writings, we know that Paul spoke Hebrew, and we know that he spoke Greek. He may have also spoken Italian. We're not exactly sure about that, but it's possible there too. But we know that when he says, I'll pray with the understanding, we know that he's saying, I can pray anytime I want to at my own will in Hebrew and or Greek. Because I understand those languages. Just like you and I can pray with our own understanding in English and maybe whatever other language you might be, might be able to speak or what you know, right? We can speak, we can pray. I could stop right now and pray for 10 minutes with my understanding in English. Some of you might even understand it. But that's my choice, right? I can do that at my will. I can tell God how great he is. I can tell him how much I love him. I can even quote scriptures to him in English as a result of my will to do so. Well, in the same way, Paul said you can will to speak in other tongues. Now, the, the, uh, the old-time Pentecostals, some of them at least, used to say that the only time you can speak in tongues is when the Spirit of God is moving. Now, what they meant by that is when they felt some kind of emotional response to whatever was going on. Because many of the old-time Pentecostals would get filled with the Holy Ghost and not speak in tongues again for years. But then they'd get in a service where the Spirit of God was moving or the presence of God seemed to be more real. And it would come on them. And they would speak out in other tongues. And they would think, oh, what a wonderful thing this was. Look at how God moved today. When they could have done it all the time. I know when we get in services, when we begin to worship God, I have a more of, a, of a, uh, an inspiration more of an influence by God to speak with other tongues at those times than I might on my own because my spirit is picking up on the presence of God. That's normal. That's, that's natural. Natural in a spiritual sense, if you know what I mean. But that doesn't mean that's the only time we can do it. Paul says, I will. What is it then? Here's what I've decided to do, Paul said. And remember, he said, I speak with tongues more than all of you. Here's why he spoke with tongues more than all of them. Because he decided when he would speak with tongues. I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. Which means Paul had determined, and we have to assume and accept that the Holy Ghost is inspiring Paul to say these things to us, meaning God must want the same things for us. Paul's prayer life was not only in the languages that he understood, but also in the Spirit. Your prayer life should be made up of both. Not just praying in other tongues. But praying with your understanding also. It's good for, the, you, for you to hear you speak the word. But your prayer life should be made up of both. It should be made up of both. What is it then? I will pray with the understanding and I will pray with the spirit also. He said the same thing about singing. He said I will sing with the spirit and I'll sing with the understanding also. So where is Paul doing all this speaking in tongues? Notice back in the same chapter, chapter 14, notice in verse 5, Paul said, I would that you all spake with tongues. Now, is this the Holy Ghost inspiring Paul to write this or not? 
All scripture is inspired by the Holy Ghost, isn't it? So this is the Holy Ghost speaking to us through the Apostle Paul. Right? All right. Does God want something for them that he, wants, that, that he doesn't want for us? God's no respecter of persons, so he wants the same thing for all of his children. So notice what the Holy Ghost is saying about tongues. I want you all to speak with tongues. So for those that might be thinking that the Holy Ghost or the baptism of the Holy Ghost or speaking with tongues is not for everybody, here's what the Holy Ghost says about it. I want you all to speak with tongues. I want you all to speak. That's what would means, isn't it? It's an expression of will or desire. I want you all to speak with tongues, but rather than you prophesied, for greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Paul goes on to say, in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my own understanding. So what is he saying? Is he saying tongues is a a bad thing? No, the Holy Ghost wants everybody to speak in tongues. But he's saying tongues in the manner that he's talking about. There is a public side, but that's not what he's referring to right now. He's saying tongues is not a teaching gift. He said, I'd rather teach with my understanding, even though I speak with tongues more than all of the rest of you. So he's talking about speaking in tongues in his private devotional prayer life. Has to be right so where should the majority of our speaking in tongues be in our private devotional prayer life that's where you recharge yourself with power spiritual power that's where you plug yourself in and because it's the holy ghost giving you utterance to speak in other tongues you're plugging a direct line into the power of god himself let me let me let me wind this up a little bit with uh, with romans chapter 8 turn with me to romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8, notice verses 26 and 27. Well, I guess we'll read verse 28 too, but starting in verse 26. Paul's writing by the, Holy, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, likewise, the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities. The word infirmities here does not mean sickness. It means weakness. He's saying we are weak in and through our flesh. Well, there's a lot of ways that our flesh is weak. There's no question about that. But what is he talking about specifically? Likewise, the Spirit himself also helpeth. Jesus said he was the comforter, the helper. He helpeth our weaknesses or our infirmities. What one is you, or do you mean, Paul? What weakness or infirmity are you talking about that he helps us with? For, here's the answer, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. He's saying it's a weakness of ours. It's a physical human weakness that we don't know what to pray for like we ought to know. He doesn't say we don't know what to pray for. He says that our mental abilities or our mental capacities or our lack of understanding limits us on what we should or God wants us to pray about because we don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. How about you? Some people seem to know it all, but I don't fall into that category. So he says there are a lot of things that we don't know what to pray for as we ought. For example, let me give you a good example. I know that the Bible says that Jesus is coming for a glorious church. I know that the Bible says that we should pray for the rain, the moving of the Holy Ghost in the last days. But what does that mean? What does that mean God's going to do? I might have some ideas. I might have some speculation, but I don't know. I know that the Bible says that the glory of the last day church will be greater than the days when it was dedicated by Solomon, the temple that he dedicated to God when the presence of God was so strong and so great that the the priest couldn't stand up to minister. The Bible says the glory of the last day church will be greater than that. How's he going to do that? Does that just mean we're going to start coming to church and there's going to be a cloud and everybody's going to fall down on the floor? 
Well, I hope it's a little bit more than that. I mean, that'll get people's attention for a, for a while, but is that really going to make a difference in eternity? Well, maybe it means healings. Oh, I hope it does. But is that it? Maybe it just means more people will get saved. Well, I hope for that too. The Bible speaks of that, and I certainly hope for that too, but how's that going to happen? Is he going to make us better preachers? Am I all of a sudden going to be able to convince people I haven't been able to convince before? Or is it going to be a combination of things? Is it going to be the power of God and the presence of God and the display of of God's manifested glory that causes people to come in? I hope it's all of those things. But I don't know. I can hope. I can even put my expectancy on certain things. But I don't know. Because it's according to God's plan and purpose, not mine. Now, folks, if it was according to mine, if I was God, I'd work it out and I'd make a mess of it. And that's what I think a lot of people try to do in their prayers. They try to work it out according to their own thinking. But no matter how great we might have as far as knowledge, no matter how great a knowledge we have, no matter how great a desire we have for the things of God, there are always going to be things that because we are human beings, we are limited to know as far as knowledge and wisdom is concerned. That's what Paul's talking about. He said the Holy Ghost helps our infirmities. He helps us in our weaknesses because we don't know what to pray for as we ought to know. We know what to pray for in many cases, just not how we ought to. In other words, there's wisdom that's greater than ours. So what does the Holy Ghost do to help us? But the Spirit himself, he's not an it, he's a him. The Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. One translation says, with groanings which cannot be uttered in in articulate speech. P.C. Nelson, who was the foremost Greek scholar in his day, was asked about this verse of Scripture, and he said, it literally means God talk. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with God talk. What God talk is he talking about? He's talking about speaking in other tongues. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. He helps us to fill the gap between our knowledge and the will of God, the plan and the purpose of God. And there is a big gap there in many cases. How does he fill that gap? By giving us utterance to speak or to pray in other tongues. Verse 27, and he that searches the hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He knows what the Holy Ghost is saying. We don't. We don't know what we're saying in other tongues. But he does. He knows what is the mind of the Spirit Why? Because he, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, the words that the Holy Spirit is giving you utterance to speak in other tongues is always according to the will of God. That means it does away with any possibility for selfish praying. Now, folks, let me stop here for a minute. You can change the will of God for your life in prayer. I know a lot of people don't believe that. I know a lot of people will argue that. A lot of people have the idea that once it's God's will, that's it. You can't change it. That's not true. At least that's not the scriptural uh, principle that we see in the Bible. For example, in the Old Testament, God wanted to be Israel's king. He wanted them to come directly to him. He wanted to be their leader. They said no. Other countries have a king. We want one too. Right? So what happened? God gave them a king. Now, you may think that's the same thing as people just rejecting the will of God, saying, I don't care what God wants, I'm going to go my own way. That's not what happened. If that was what happened, they would have said, we don't care if God wants to be our king, we're going to pick our own king. They did not pick their own kings. God did. 
which means that they settled for God's permissive will instead of his best. Which means that they chose, Lord, God, we know that you want to be our king, but that's not the way we want it. We want to be like other countries. So give us a king. God said, well, okay, if that's the way you want it, okay. It's not going to work out well for you. Your kings will tax you. Your kings will enslave your children. God told you what earthly government would be like. Taxation and regulation. Now people, Christians nowadays are so shocked. So God said, here's what it's going to be. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. So God said, okay, I'll pick you a king. So please notice that that was not God's plan. That was not God's best. It was not his perfect will. Yet he allowed them to operate in his permissive will. You can change God's perfect will by staying on him about something in prayer. Now, I'm not advocating that you do that. I, for one, want God's best. It's just so much better that way. And there are a lot of times where I pray for things and I'll say, now, Lord, if I'm wrong about this, you change me. Because I don't want what I want in this. I want what you want in this. I think this is what, what you're directing me to pray. But if I'm wrong about this, you change me and show me because I want to pray according to your perfect will. And in those cases, I'll always allow the Holy Ghost to lead me. Because if I'm thinking one thing, but the Holy Ghost is leading me to pray something else, let's go with him. So notice what he's saying again. We'll start in verse 26 again. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That's always the case when you're praying for other people, isn't it? You don't know what to pray for for other people. Sometimes you don't know what to pray for for yourself in the way that you should. That's less the case when we're praying for ourselves, but sometimes. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, in our articulate speech, the Holy Ghost gives us utterance in other tongues. And he that searches the hearts, God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So he's talking about when you pray in other tongues, you're always praying according to the will of God. When you pray in other tongues, you're always praying according to the will of God beyond your, the limited knowledge that you have, whether it's in your own case, in your own life, your own situation, or in the lives of others. Always praying the will of God. Well, is that not a good enough reason to do it? Man, that becomes high on the list for me. I want to pray the will of God. Don't you? I've learned that the will of God is always better than what I might think. Now, notice what the result of praying by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in other tongues, according to the perfect will of God, always according to the perfect will of God, results in. Verse 28, and we know. Here's how we know, because the Holy Ghost gives us utterance to pray the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. In other words, he's saying God works things out in your life when you pray in other tongues. Now, the church has done a number on this verse. The church has taken times of tragedy and where people have lost loved ones or people have died or, or terrible things have happened, and they'll pull verse 28 out of context and say, well, we know that all things work together for good to them that are called and according to his purpose. Well, that's a tough thing to tell somebody if the devil just stole their loved one. Because there's a lot of things that happen in life God didn't have anything to do with. 
Yet the church turns around and says, well, we know that all things work together for good. Seriously? How's the devil stealing a loved one going to work out to good? Well, maybe somebody will get saved. Folks, I got to tell you something. If God takes taking my, if God has to take my loved ones to get somebody saved, I want out. Because he's not the God I'm preaching him to be. Now, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance, not the killing of your loved ones. But the church, willing to turn away from the truth, kicking against the pricks, failing to recognize the value of speaking in other tongues and praying the perfect will of God in other tongues, has taken verse 28 out of context and said, well, we know that all things work together for good. Yeah, when you pray in other tongues. If you don't pray in other tongues, whether you're filled or not, you're on your own, buster. Doesn't mean God doesn't care for you, but it means you're, you're passing up and refusing one of the greatest values and greatest benefits and greatest exhibitions of power that you can display in your own life by praying the perfect will of God by speaking in other tongues. I wonder when we get to heaven... How many things we'll see could have been avoided in our lives or the lives of our loved ones if we had only yielded to the Holy Ghost to pray? I wonder how many Christians will get there with tragedies and terrible things that have happened in their lives that from that moment on define their whole lives. You know people like that. You know people that have experienced tragedies and that tragedy goes on and lingers with them for decades. It affects their relationship with God. It affects their relationship with others. I wonder how many of those things could have been changed by speaking in tongues. Have you noticed how some churches would just go from tragedy to tragedy? You ever been in a church like that? I know it's that way with some Christian schools. Sometimes in, in Christian schools, nearly every year, every class will have somebody that dies or some family member of one of the students that dies in some terrible thing or situation or cancer or whatever it is. I've seen so many churches, I've seen so many Christian schools, Christian organizations, they go from tragedy to tragedy to tragedy. Have you ever noticed that we don't have any of those? Do you know why we don't have any of those? Because we spend time praying in tongues. I have no doubt, I know for a fact that there are a lot of things that are avoided. Let me close with one last, uh, uh, one example here. This was, uh, gosh, maybe 15 years ago. I was praying, just in my office, praying in tongues. And all of a sudden, I realized that a burden of prayer came on me. I I started off speaking in tongues just to edify myself. But then the spirit of prayer came on me. That happens a lot of times where the Holy Ghost will move you from one thing to another. And I realized this is different. This is not just me building myself up. This is not me just charging myself up spiritually. Now I'm praying about something. And I prayed for about 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes, something like that. Had no idea what I was praying about. And all of a sudden, that burden lifted. Whenever you come unto a place where the Holy Ghost is trying to prompt you or impress upon you to pray, always stay with it until there's a spirit of lightness. I began to speak in other tongues. I began to laugh. I began to say, well, whatever it is, Lord, I've got it now. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but whatever, I've got it now. Well, after a few minutes of singing and praising God and thanking Him for whatever the answer was, I had a little glimpse of something. I didn't know at the time whether it was just an imagination or if it was something the Holy Ghost was showing me because it was just that quick. But I saw a member of our church get out of their car and they looked behind the car and then went down like this on their knees. 
put their hands on their knees like they were exhausted or, or whatever. So I thought, well, that's weird. I, didn't, I saw who it was, but I didn't, didn't attach any meaning to it or anything like that. Well, this was on a Wednesday. And that night, after church, somebody, that person came to, to, the, to, the, come to me after the service. And they said, Pastor Mike, I've got to tell you something that happened. She said, I was pulling out, told me where she was, here at a local restaurant. I was pulling out after lunch. And I got in my car, looked in my rearview mirror. This was 15 years ago. She didn't have all the cameras and all that kind of stuff, you know, the way people used to drive. So I looked in my rearview mirror, didn't see anybody. She said, I started out, and the Holy Ghost said just as loud and as strong as anything I've ever heard, stop. She said, it scared me so much, I didn't even really think about it. She said, it scared me so much, I just jammed on the brakes. She said, then all of a sudden in my rearview mirror, I saw a mother come running off from one side. She said, I put the car in park, walked out behind the car, and there was a little toddler that had crawled up behind my car. There's no way in the world to see. She said, if I had not stopped when the Holy Ghost told me to stop, I would have run right over that child, no telling what damage or harm I could have done. The mother would have been standing there watching it. Nothing in the world could have stopped that except God. I said, tell me something. What did you do? She said, I got out of my car, saw that. She said, I thought I was going to faint, so I went down on my knees just like that. Well, that's what I saw. Well, I didn't say, yeah, here's why that happened. I prayed it was me. That mother owes me her daughter's life. I never said a word. But I thought to myself after she walked away, I thought, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Folks, I'm convinced that things like that can and do happen all the time if we'll just yield ourselves. You need to realize you've got supernatural power living on the inside of you. This is not just church. This is not just some Christian organization that's trying to do some good works here in the earth. This is the Spirit of God. We're talking about divine power. We're talking about God-given power. We're talking about a display of things that man cannot do in and of himself. That's the one that lives on the inside of you. No wonder those that saw and understood who we are in Christ said, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. No wonder Paul wrote and said, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's the power that we're supposed to display. That's the power that we're supposed to exercise. That's the spiritual exercise that makes a difference. I said one last thing, but I want to finish with, uh, uh, with one verse of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Another reason for speaking with other tongues. And that is, Paul said, writing to the church, he was talking about their, their operation tongues versus uh, English and teaching the people and so forth notice Paul said in verse 16 we read down through verse 15 but let's pick up with verse 16 after he said I'll pray with the spirit and pray with the understanding also Paul said else when thou shalt bless with the spirit how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at the giving of thanks seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest now remember the context Paul is saying you need to conduct your services to reach both the unsaved and those that don't know about the baptism of the Holy Ghost that don't know about speaking in tongues He's talking about in services. So he says, if we do things in services, if we just come to church and spend all our time speaking in other tongues, what good is that going to do anybody? See, the things that I've said this morning, the Holy Spirit is used to remind you of things that you may have already known or maybe shown you things that you didn't know. Well, how would you have gotten anything if I just came up here and spoke for an hour in tongues? 
If you didn't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you didn't know about speaking in tongues, you'd walk away thinking, those are crazy people. At least the pastor is, right? That's what's happening here. So Paul is saying, those that are unlearned, notice he does not say unsaved. He's talking about people that are not learned or taught or schooled in spiritual things. You can be saved and still be unlearned. So he said, if those that come in that are unlearned, certainly this is true for the unsaved, but even those that are saved but are unlearned, he said, how is tongues going to help them during the services? But then notice what he says in verse 17. He said, but thou, for thou, verily givest thanks well. So what is he saying about speaking in tongues? It's one of the best ways, according to the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is saying it's one of the best ways to give thanks to God. You ever notice over in Acts chapter 8, they heard, or Acts chapter 10, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God? Speaking with tongues is a means of magnifying God. Now, you can't make God bigger from his perspective, but you can sure make him bigger in your, in your eyes and from your perspective. So the Holy Ghost is saying, here's God saying, it's a great way, maybe even the best way, to give thanks. For verily thou givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. The unlearned is not edified. But it's a great way to give thanks. Well, isn't that an important thing in the Christian life? Doesn't the Bible say in everything give thanks? Not for everything, but in everything give thanks. In everything you can thank God with other tongues. In everything, whether you understand it or not. Whether you understand the purpose for it in your life or not, whether you understand who's doing what in your life, you can always give thanks to God in one of the most uh, profitable and maybe best ways by speaking in other tongues. 